Uh, and then finally, out of my announcements, is uh, if you're sitting on this side of the room uh, and you can see it in the lights, uh, you can see that I have a bruise on my face. And uh, it's not so much here or here, but right here, uh, if you've seen Tommy Boy. Um, and if you're on this side, you wouldn't know. But I just want to assure you, it's just in case you guys see it there. And I just want you to know that my marriage is doing okay. And, um, and that uh, we still love each other. Uh, no, I, w- I was trying to come up with a, a good excuse for it. I was at our Foursquare conference this last week. I thought it would be fun to tell you that I got in a fight at one of the business meetings. Um, but that didn't happen either. Um, no, I went to uh, a massage therapist yesterday to uh, get some mobility in my hip. And they use this technique called cupping, like it's like this suction cup. And so she's using it and, uh, and then thought it would be fun to do that on my face. And, uh, and so apparently right here is where I hold all the toxins in my face. Uh, so, so super embarrassing. Um, my wife was like, well, we could put some makeup on it this morning if you want. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make you look guilty. Um, That's at least our story uh, that that we're telling people. All right, uh, we are going to jump in, get some Jesus in us today. Um, We're in a series uh, called By My Spirit. I'm getting lots of help from uh, Pastor Robert Morris, Pastor Chris Hodges in this series Uh, But the goal of this is really to help us understand the importance and the need for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our everyday life. That as we've been going through this series, uh, it's really to bring some clarity to something that I don't think many of us have fully understood or have uh, grasped hold of. Uh, And some of the reason for that is... Uh, there's just kind of this um, confusion or a lack of understanding or a lack of teaching on it. Um, I, I, I do know this, though. I know that uh, for many people, when I have conversations with them, what I hear is that, uh, that when they, after salvation, after the point of salvation, that as they begin to live their life according to the ways of God, that uh, that there's got to be more to this Christian life than just uh, attending a church or serving in a church or giving to a church. That, that, that there's just got to be more than just sermons and messages and serving and giving. That, that there's, it seems like as we read scripture that this was intended to be something more powerful and supernatural. And the truth is, is that there is. There is something more. The problem is, is we have this normal in our head of, from our past, of how we were raised, what we grew up with. And so I just want to kind of take just a moment and, and get a feel for the room. If you're watching with us online, uh, you, you can put this in the comment section if you want. But I'm just curious, how many of you in the room uh, were grew up in or were raised in, in a Baptist church or in a Baptist environment? Uh, just kind of raise your hand up. Okay. This isn't, like, don't be scared. This isn't, 
hi, my name's Ryan, and I was a Baptist. Uh, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just like, I'm just getting a feel for the room. So Baptist, just, you grew up Baptist, raise your hand. Uh, okay. Uh, how many of you grew up uh, in, in the Methodist denomination, just raise a hand, okay, just like a, a few of you, okay, uh, Presbyterian, uh, any in the Presbyterian, okay, um, Catholic, how many of you, oh, okay, there we go, um, now I know who's in the room, uh, how many of you uh, grew up kind of Pentecostal charismatic, raise both of your hands, right, because uh, that's you, yeah. See, we, uh, how, many, how many of you just were like, you know what, I was a sinner and I gave my life to Jesus. Like, that's, I, I don't know about any of the other stuff, but. See, we all, we have some sort of preconceived idea. And, and if you are someone who maybe didn't grow up in the church or weren't raised with a certain theological bent, uh, you still have perceptions and you have What's, what you believe to be normal and not normal. And, uh, and so we kind of come into this conversation of, and when I say conversation, it's, it's not really a conversation unless you send in texts and then we can converse a little bit about this. But we come into this subject matter with our preconceived ideas. And depending on uh, what, what you grew up with will inform your perception of this subject matter today. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 2, it says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So, some of the confusion and some of the uh, misunderstanding is nothing new today. It was, it was evident and clear even in scriptural times where they hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And that's where a lot of people are today. They, they've grown up with a certain theological bent, but maybe depending on that bent, they haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit or the role of the Holy Spirit in their life. I believe that some of the confusion is based upon the packaging of it. Like, we believe in the scriptures, we believe in the Bible, we're not rejecting that, but we are rejecting the packaging of the message of the Holy Spirit. What I mean by that is, if you have a perception of, of what charismatic Pentecostal people are, you're like, I, I don't know if I like the packaging of that. And what I hope to do this morning is just bring some clarity. In fact, I, I think it's important for us to have a scriptural understanding and a scriptural balance of what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, what it means to operate in the manifestation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and so I'm going to tackle a term this morning that I think, depending on how you were raised, might bring a little bit of anxiousness to you. And it's the word Pentecost. And I know that's a scary word. And it's scary because it's eerily close to the word 
Pentecostal. Right? Sounds the same. And when we hear Pentecostal, uh, yeah, I'm not interested in snakes. Right? They, and, and for those of you who don't understand that reference, like, there's these people, I don't know who these people are, I don't associate with these people, who call themselves Pentecostals, that, like, play with snakes, like rattlesnakes. And they have this idea that, you know, that if they have faith, they won't get bitten. Um, I'm just going to tell you right now, there's two things in this world that I think are straight from the curse. Snakes and spiders. I don't do either one. Never. Uh, So uh, some people thought it would be real funny, and by people I mean my dad. Uh, They found a tarantula while I was out of town, and uh, it was dead, and they put it on my desk in my office. And, And I just think that there's probably their mansion in heaven just shrunk a lot. I don't know if that's a thing or not, but we, we have this perception of Pentecostal and we think like running around the room and screaming and, and, and you know, whatever your experience was, or maybe you never actually experienced a Pentecostal church. And so your perception is only what maybe your parents told you or your grandparents told you. Maybe it's your grandma was like, listen, you need to go to church. You need to be in the church. You need to be in God's word. Just stay away from the Pentecostals. Don't go in there. They're crazy. Right? There's something that informs us of this. And and so I just want to help bring some clarity to this. And so I'm going to tell you what the word Pentecost means. I think it's important for you. It's, It's super scary. It means 50. Ooh. It means 50. That penta, anybody know how many sides a pentagon has? Five, okay. I was going to say pentagram, but I use pentagon instead. Uh, Pentagon has five sides to it. So penta means five. Costi means to the tenth. So Pentecost means 50. Now, I don't know why that brings so much anxiousness to us. Like when we hear it, you're like, it's not the Pentecost that's the problem. It's the owl. It's, it's the Pentecost owl that brings the angst. And so I'm hoping this morning that we will be able to bring some clarity to that. The word Pentecost, and by the way, today is Pentecost Sunday. Today represents the 50th day from the point at which we celebrated the resurrection. 50 days from Easter is this Sunday. And we're going to unpack why that's important to us today. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. He, he appears through the series that we did uh, on how is this possible. He appears to people in his glorified body, and, uh, and he, he meets with them in the upper room, and then he ascends into heaven. And Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, When then the day of Pentecost came, so the 50th day, all that to say is it is a day. 
and it's not scary. In fact, it's actually a holiday. It's a holiday on the Jewish calendar. It's something that they celebrate, and there are three major holidays. I'm sure there are more, but major holidays. There are three that I want to look at today, uh, three feasts or major holidays uh, that's, that are on the Jewish ca- calendar that are really uh, pictures of the fulfillment of what God has done uh, and what he's going to do, all right? We have a hard time understanding this because they're not our holidays. And so uh, I want to just kind of give you an overview and help you with that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. He defines the Old Testament as the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus came to give a fulfillment of the picture of the Old Testament. You can see Jesus in his plan for our life in in these three holidays. And I want you to see them and kind of understand them. First is the Passover. Now, the Passover is, if you're unfamiliar with the story, is where the Israelites were held captive in Egypt. And Moses is kind of assigned to be their deliverer, not kind of, he is. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And he comes back and after a plague, let my people go. No. Not real, not real quick this morning, are we? Okay, let my people go. And then, yeah, the answer is always no, just in case you're wondering. He's going to trick us. At one point, he's going to say, yeah, no. The answer is always no. He, eight times, no, 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 after plague, after plague, after plague. And then it wasn't until the final plague, which was going to be the death of every firstborn, firstborn child. And, and the Israelites were given a warning, and they were, set, they were told to, uh, to sacrifice a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts around the doorposts of their home. And if they would do that, then, uh, then the death angel would pass over their home. And there's a lot of questions that people have about the death of this and all that. And I'm not getting into the, to those details at this moment. But I will tell you that it was for their salvation. It was for the safety of their children. And so that's what they celebrate. And this is how they would celebrate it. At 9 a.m., they would kill the lamb. And at 3 p.m., they would put it in the oven. The sacrifice covered their sins. And now I want you to see the fulfillment of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus was sacrificed on Passover at 9 a.m. At 3 p.m., he was put into the tomb. His sacrifice does not cover our sins. His sacrifice removed our sins. 1 Corinthians says it like this in chapter 5, verse 7. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So when people say that it happened, when people say the resurrection, that when the resurrection happened, or or when the crucifixion happened, really probably a better word or terminology would be fulfilled. When the Passover was fulfilled, when 
We no longer have to sacrifice animals to cover our sin. Christ on the cross was the sacrifice once and for all for all of our sin, past, present, and future. The Jewish people understood this, but for us, it's a little different because we don't celebrate the holiday. And so Passover represents our salvation. And just so I'm clear, salvation is this beautiful thing that God gives us and it stands all on its own. There is no salvation plus. Salvation and, it's, it's just salvation, and it's been made very clear that he does not wrap our salvation up into anything else, into our works. There is more to this Christian experience and this Christian life that we've been called to live. There is a mission that we are to be sent on, but that is not what makes us saved. We experience salvation freely. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through your faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He doesn't mix it up with the things that you do. You, You don't get to say, well, I just give a lot to my church, or I serve all the time, down our kids department, or I serve my community. You don't don't get to say, and that's why I'm saved. We don't have that. We don't save ourselves. All we do is surrender our life to him, and that's it. However, God does have more for your life. He does want you to continue the journey that you've started through salvation. The second holiday, then, is what we celebrate today, is Pentecost. Pentecost celebrates the moment in which the law was given on Mount Sinai. Uh, There's old movies about this, but essentially it is described in Scripture where there was Uh, a cloud that descends with a loud noise and with fire. And God then wrote his law on the tablets of stone. And remember, uh, if you remember the story, we also read that there was this golden calf that they had rejected God and the law, and because of that, in that moment, 3,000 people died. Again, I'm like, why are you celebrating this? But if you look at kind of the mirror image, the fulfillment of that, what we find is that on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends with a loud sound, and Scripture describes it as tongues of fire. God wrote his law not on stone tablets, but Scripture tells us he writes it on our hearts. He writes it inside of us with the Holy Spirit. And in just this beautiful picture on that day, 3,000 people were saved. It's such a clear picture that the law brings death, but the Spirit brings life. In Acts chapter 1, it says, After his suffering, the cross, 
he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. You say, well, I thought it was 50 days. Well, he spoke uh, and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. And you remember this from last Sunday. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait 10 more days. For the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, which is a representation of salvation and a public proclamation of salvation. Uh, That's Passover. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why? Why do we need it? Because Acts 1.8 says, I need you to have power. It says in In verse 8 of chapter 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why do we need to receive power? Because he's got a job for us to do. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Of course, that's just a, a picture of like San Antonio, America, and to the ends of the earth. The world. And he says, I need you to get to work. Yes, you are saved, but there is a lot of work to be done. I don't want you to remain in that moment that there actually is the fulfillment of what he's called us to do in the Great Commission. So what does Pentecostal or Pentecost really mean? It's not about, you know, wild, crazy church services. It's not even about people speaking in tongues. It's not about one gift or the other gift. It's actually to have the power to make a difference. Pentecost is power to make a difference. There's a third holiday, and this one uh, happened in the fall around harvest time. It's a whole nother set of unique characteristics, and it's... um, It's a celebration of while they were wandering in the wilderness, in the desert. They were wandering in the desert, living in temporary huts, and until they were brought to their final home, which was the promised land, and it was celebrated in the harvest season. How is this fulfilled? Well, we are currently living in our temporary home. We will be brought to our final home in heaven. There's a lot of theological debate as to what that will look like, whether heaven will be uh, descend onto our earth and all of this will be made perfect, or whether we ascend into some other heavenly place. Uh, lots of theological things that I don't fully understand or grasp. And honestly, anybody that says they know exactly what the end times are going to look like, I, I would be very leery of them. Uh, But it says also that there will be a great harvest of people. And I believe, uh, this is my opinion, that you you don't don't tweet me on this. Uh, Does anybody tweet anymore? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Maybe they do now. Um, But um, I believe we're living in a season of, of the harvest, that many people are hungry. I think the, you know, there's a scripture that says the fields are white and ready for the harvest. And, uh, and I know that pastors uh, probably for decades have been saying that. You know, the, 
the fields are white, the workers are few, we need more workers, you know, and, uh, and I, I just can't help but believe that uh, when I have conversations with people, people without Jesus are living a hopeless life. And they are desperate for something greater than what the world has to offer. I believe people are so, like, desiring. I was going to use the word hungry, but I don't like that word. It's, it's a desire for something greater than what the world has. And the workers, by the way, are not vocational pastors. It's you and me. It's us. We are the workers, but the workers are few. And the workers are few because... Within our own ability, we don't have what it takes. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. The Joshua Project says that there are approximately 7,400 unreached people groups right now. Uh, We know that, uh, we understand in Scripture that the second coming of Jesus will be when all have heard. Uh, 7,400 unreached people groups, and just as a point of acknowledgement, Uh, Because of our partnership with MMI Amazon uh, and what we're doing with the hospital boat, it actually affords us the opportunity to reach two of those unreached people groups. There's still a lot more to go, but, but but that's two of the 7,400 that we have the opportunity to bring the message of Jesus to, not overtly in some sort of evangelistic, you know, uh, hellfire and brimstone, but with the intention of bringing physical healing, we can bring spiritual healing and bring the message of Jesus to them. It's going to happen. I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime. I think it'll happen sooner or later, unless it doesn't, and then it will happen later than sooner. <laughs> but either way, it is going to happen. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So those who have been buried, they get to go first. After that, we, are, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. Their bodies, their spirits are already uh, there to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Uh, if you want me to give you very specific, literal explanation of that, I don't have that for you this morning. But I will tell you that the third holiday or feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, is a representation of the second coming of Christ. So three major holidays, three major things that we need to know about this Christian life that we've subscribed to as followers of Jesus. It begins with the cross, begins with our salvation. It doesn't begin with joining a church. It doesn't matter whether you grew up Baptist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal or any of those things. It doesn't, none of that, that, no. What matters is your salvation. You are saved. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you have proclaimed him Lord of your life, done. You are saved. And it's because of what he did on the cross. At the end of service today, we are going to receive the elements of communion as a testimony and as a point of remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross. The cup of juice, the little gluten-free cracker that we have to offer you this morning is representation of the body that was torn from his flesh and the cup is the blood that was spilled from his body. It was the sacrifice 
that was made so that we could be saved and that we could receive this free gift. He now has an assignment for us. And this assignment is too big for us and we are going to need a power to accomplish it. There is a Pentecost experience that we have, not from some feeling or entertainment, excuse me, not for some feeling or entertainment, but for the sake of the mission that he's called us to. Most people understand the cross. And many people at least uh, understand this idea of eternity, of, of heaven someday. But rarely do we walk in the understanding and, and the, the recognition of the age that we are a part of right now, that we are contributors to the kingdom of God. That we are to live our life on mission. That is the Pentecostal power. It is the Pentecost power that we've been invited to. And so what does all of that mean? I, I believe that God wants to empower us in three different ways. In Acts chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? It means that the Holy Spirit empowers me to live righteously. It doesn't mean he empowers me to live perfectly, but he does empower me to live righteously. See, there are some who live following the law that's written on the outside, that's written outside of our hearts, but he begins to write the law on our hearts, in us. And now all of a sudden, our desires begin to change. We begin to shift the way in which we live. Now we have uh, the beginnings of the fruit of the Spirit in us. Now all of a sudden, in places that we were very different before we were saved, now we have love towards people. We have joy. We have peace. We have a patience that we never used to have, a kindness that usually resulted in anger in the past. We, we have the, this, the fruit of the Holy Spirit because it's now written on us and the decisions that we're making are not decisions based upon our flesh, pre-salvation, but now are based upon the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And this, if the Spirit of God lives in you, when we are filled with the Spirit. He begins to do this transforming work inside of us. It's not I serve him because I have to. It's not I serve him because I need to be saved. It's I serve him because I want to. I serve him because I was once dead in my sin and now I am alive and free and no longer bound by the things of my past. Look at what Isaiah says in chapter 30, verse 21. It says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Tune our ears to the things of the Spirit. Let him direct us. Let him guide us. 
Don't go this way, go that way. The second thing that the Holy Spirit empowers us with is to live supernaturally. I think most of us would agree that Jesus lived a supernatural life. Uh, none of us really have a problem with that. We, uh, we can reconcile in our hearts and in Scripture that Jesus, as he walked this earth, lived supernaturally. He laid, uh, he laid on of hands and healing took place. He, he spit in the mud and, uh, and, and, or in the dirt and made mud and put it in the eyes of a blind man and he was healed and uh, and he and it's interesting because he did things differently. The paralytic comes through the roof. He he addresses the friends and talks about their faith, but he ultimately ends up healing the paralytic. And and so we look at all of these examples and we're like, Jesus lived a supernatural, miraculous life. It's harder for us to grab hold of the fact that Jesus said, "But I go to the Father, and the and greater works will you do than what I did." It doesn't have to be all of the frills, right? We're not showing off, but, but he empowers us to live a supernatural life. Now, I'm not advocating that next time somebody who's blind comes to you that you spit in the dirt and then rub. Uh, but if the Holy Spirit tells you, like, I'm, I'm inviting you to listen to the divine moments that the Holy Spirit has, and interestingly, just as crazy as it seems that Jesus would spit in the dirt and make mud cakes and plop them into a blind man's eyes, I think we think it's just as crazy when our neighbor comes and tells us that they have been diagnosed with cancer. It's just as crazy for us to say, well, let me pray for healing. Instead, our response often is, I'll be praying for you as you go through your chemo, as you go through all of that, I'll be praying for you uh, that you don't have effects, you know, the side effects and all of that. And then, honestly, if we're just being honest this morning, I think we often then go away and we don't ever really pray. Uh, and I know that sounds like such a judgment and such a condemnation, and I, I don't mean that on any one person other than I take that conviction myself. How easy is it for it to, us to say, I'll be praying for you, and then to honestly never really do it? I, I know that hurts a little bit for me to even say that, but it's true. So how crazy is it that when our friend comes to us with cancer that we would say, no, I'm praying for healing. And as we talked about last week uh, about uh, the unborn baby that we're praying for right now uh, in, in Alan and, and Jenna Barbie's uh, life, that, that we would pray for healing and believe that God is going to heal. See, it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Greater works will you do. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Why did he need that? It says, because then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. My message and my preaching, this is Paul talking here, 
We're not with wise and persuasive words. In other words, um, if all you're doing is coming for the message and, and hearing a persuasive argument for this today, if you're coming, you know, because at times I make jokes about, you know, my face or, you know, whatever, or I kind of slip humor into the message, it's, it's not for any of that. It's not wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. We can hear all of the messages in the world. We can hear, have all of the knowledge in the world. But if we don't have the power of God, it's not enough. My encouragement for you is we continue on in this journey of being Christ followers is that we would be a people who don't point to a great church to be a part of. I like our church. I, I enjoy this faith community that we're a part of. There's no, nothing wrong with this. But it's not the end. This isn't the, like the culmination of what we are to be about. There's actually more that can take, take place supernaturally. There's more that he's called you and me to, to live, not just in this room, but outside these walls. Marriages can be healed. Your body can be healed. Your life can be changed. There is power available for every circumstance and every situation. Here's the last one. The Holy Spirit empowers me to live my life on mission, the mission that he's called us to. Our mission is to, as a church, for Lifehouse, our unique calling is to connect people to the real love of the Father, to connect them to the real life that he's called us to live here on this earth in order to make a difference for his kingdom. We shorten it by saying connecting people to real love, real life to make a difference. It's really about what the Father's love for us and what it's like to live in this life according to the ways and the mission that he's called us to so that we can make a difference. We exist for the world. We are God's plan for this world. We exist for the world and we exist to make a difference, not just in Colombia, right? Because we hear that when we hear the world, we exist for the world. We often will think, well, we're making a difference in the world. And we are. We're making a difference in the Amazon region of Colombia. We are making a difference in the lives of children and adults in Cienega de Oro in Colombia. We are making a difference in the world. But what I hope that you hear today is that you exist to make a difference in your world, in your life circle. If you're new to LifeHouse, we've been talking about this since the beginning of the year where we are called to live our life on mission in our life circle. What I mean by our life circle is your workplace, your school, your home, your neighborhood, your church. That, that LifeHouse Church is just one small part of your life circle. Do we need you to serve in the church and give in the church and, and participate and be a part of your equipping process? Yes, of course, but that's not the only thing that you're to do. 
You, you are called into all of your life circle. And so my question is, are you making a difference in your workplace? Are you making a difference in your school? We heard last week uh, from Child Evangelism Fellowship and, and a couple of the, uh, the ladies in our church who are teachers who are starting an after-school Bible uh, program for these children who desperately need Jesus. They're making a difference. They're making a difference not just in their work, but in their school. Are you making a difference in your HOA? If you're not part of an HOA, consider yourself blessed. <laughs> but what difference are you making in your life circle? If you're looking for a church that is just here to, to do everything for you or to just come and receive messages, and listen, everybody comes to us at different places, and uh, we are a church that is a safe place. I believe we're a church that is a safe place for people who have been hurt by other churches, other leaders, to come and to be restored uh, and to fall in love again with a faith community. I believe that. But it's not to remain just as a casual observer. It's to participate in the kingdom of God. It's to be equipped to go out these walls and to be ambassadors for the kingdom. God has asked us to do something. That if we're going to be honest, in and of ourselves, we are not qualified to do it. We are going to need his power to pull it off. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, Our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. That's what I want desperately for all of us. And unfortunately, this message has been hijacked by some who want to make others feel less than. So, there are some who would say that if you don't believe this theologically, then you are therefore a second-class Christian. You are less than. And I just want to tell you that that has no place in our the theological bent. It has no place in our scriptural understanding of this theology. That, that, that's, that's not the heart of Christ. We don't look at, at other people and just because I've experienced some of the more, think that somehow they are less. It doesn't work. In fact, I use this phrase last week, but it's so true, and it's not original to me. I don't know who originally said it, um, but I, I borrowed it since we don't steal things. And it just simply says that being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. It makes me better than me. Let me just ask you a question. Does the world that you are a part of, does your life circle need more of you is that what it really needs does it need more of your opinions more of your ideas more of your thoughts it might need some of your presence but does it really need more of your flesh i would argue no it me it needs more of the power of the holy spirit We would never 
express that we are somehow better than anyone else. But here's how I'll conclude that statement, is that we still want to pursue all God has for us. Last week, uh, during second service, some of you uh, stayed back. Uh, I, I shared with first service, because I didn't do it with first service, but some of you stayed back second service. And it was based upon a question that uh, essentially, it didn't say it exactly like this, but essentially, thanks for teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit or spirit-filled power. And, and it says that we are to wait to receive the power. Like, at what point do we actually get to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And, and it was just in that moment, as I was thinking, I was like, well, in two weeks. Because <laughs> that's when we're going to do it. That's, like, that's the plan. The plan is for, at the end of the series, to give the opportunity for people to be prayed for for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so in my mind, I was thinking, well, I got this planned out. It's in two weeks. But, but the Holy Spirit was like, no, there are people who right now want that in their life. And so we dismissed. We said, if you want to stay back, and there ended up being, I think, probably close to 20 people, uh, maybe even more than that, who got prayed for for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in that time, we explained some of the hindrances to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And one of those, the primary one, happens to be uh, a spiritual gift called speaking in tongues. And for many people, this is kind of their line, right? It's, let me rephrase that. It's not a line because you can see past the line. It's actually a wall. It's a wall that keeps us from experiencing all that God has for us because we're like, I just don't know about this gift. Like, this gift is too weird, it's too different, and I'm not even sure it's of God, even though it's in Scripture. So, I'm, I'm aware of this. I grew up with this. This was a wall, just so you know, this was a wall for me. Growing up in the church, I grew up knowing about this gift, and, and even into my high school years and college years, uh, th- there was a barrier there. And, and so I get it. I, I sympathize with you. I understand it. But let me just tell you why I think that wall might be there for you. And again, I'm not trying to project this on you, but I think the wall might be there uh, because of, of some, some past things that you've experienced that are not scriptural, things that you've, you've been confused about because it's never been explained or taught in a way that is helpful to your understanding. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I hope you don't hear that, uh, me saying, well, you just are dumb and you don't understand it. I, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying sometimes we need it explained to us in a scriptural way, not in a human way. And so my hope next week is to explain it to you in a scriptural way. And for some of you who've read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, and, and you're reading it, and you're like, I just don't understand the discrepancies here, and when is it supposed to be used, and when is there an interpretation and not an interpretation, and, uh, and what's the deal with the tongues of fire and all of that? Like, how is that any, you know, I, I, my understanding of that is different. And, and so there's just like this, this kind of this barrier and this confusion that exists. And, and listen, 
also I'm aware that by the end of that, there will still be some who are uncomfortable with that and not willing to take another step. And I want you to hear this morning, that has nothing to do with your salvation, and it doesn't make you a second-class Christian. Just you need to hear me say that as a pastor, because there are some who would say differently. I do believe that it is a gift that's available to us in some aspects of our life, and um, it, depending on the gift. Uh, and so what we're going to do is we're going to actually go all the way back into Zechariah, into a prophetic word. We're going to talk about the Tower of Babel and how that plays a factor into all of this. And we're going to, in the best way I know how, unpack this gift so that at least you are informed and you can make a decision on your next steps. Because I do believe that God has more for your life. And don't let something as trivial as this be a barrier to you for all that he has for you. I actually think that, uh, and I I don't want to over-spiritualize this, but I do think that that in some ways this gift above any of the other spiritual gifts, it's so interesting, we're okay with all the others. It's just this one, that's a, it's a hiccup. And not even a hiccup, it's a, it's this. And, and so I think the enemy of our soul has done an effective job in bringing confusion and and weirdness to it in such a way that it's actually preventing us from fulfilling the mission that God has for us. It's a pretty heavy statement. It's my opinion. I I don't, I'm not, you know, and it gets really dangerous when pastors start giving their opinions. Um, But in my years of ministry, in my years of teaching, I, I see this hesitation And the thing that really, uh, the empowerment of all the gifts and the, the desiring of all of the gifts often leave us short of many of the gifts. All right. So that's next week. What's the deal with the speaking in tongues thing? And, and depending on how you were raised, you, you will, Either watch online in the safety of your home or, or not tune in at all. Uh, or you'll show up hungry and, and looking for, like, what? I need help. I need help understanding this. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of look under the hood of, of that gift in particular and, and say, okay, God, what, what do you want to do in me? Let's pray.